Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. A wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at OzarkFolkCenter.com. And by Stone Bank, a community bank supporting entrepreneurs and farmers nationwide with loans guaranteed by the USDA, SBA, and Farm Services Agency. Learn more at StoneBank.com. And the Arkansas Arts Council, empowering the arts for the benefit of all Arkansans. On the web at ArkansasArts.org. And by the Committee of 100 for the Ozark Folk Center, preserving Ozark folk culture since 1974 through music roots, craft apprenticeships, and the Heritage Herb Garden. Learn more at OFC100.org. Howdy, folks. This is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. We have a very special show this week as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. We'll hear audio from its 1973 grand opening, as well as interviews of key park figures and commentary by historian and writer Charlie Sandage. Also, Mark Jones will offer an archival recording of Ozark original Jimmy Driftwood, an important figure in the establishment of the Ozark Folk Center. That's this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. If you've listened to this show for a while, you've probably figured out what a unique and special place the Ozark Folk Center State Park is. When it opened in April of 1973, its mission was to preserve and present all aspects of the culture that molds the character of the people who inhabit the Ozark Mountains. Let's hear a little more about the park's beginnings from a couple of fellows who were there, Jimmy Driftwood and folklorist Charlie Sandage. I'm going to tell you this is not the opening of this thing tonight. You may have thought you'd come to the opening. All we did was to come over here from the courthouse, supposed to be at the courthouse tonight, and practice and try to learn something about this thing. And it looks like you're going to see us learn. <laughs> I just hope to goodness that we do learn. Anyhow, this is not the opening. Uh, this is just an extension of the courthouse musicals. Now, next Friday and Saturday, is am I right? Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday will be the... Arkansas Folk Festival. We'll be over here then. That still won't be the opening. The real opening will be actually on a Saturday of May the 5th. Now we're going to start this program just like we were over at the, over at the uh, courthouse. And we're ready to bring them out. Bang those musicians out here. Okay, we'll give you the Wednesday night waltz. From 1963 to 1973, the decade when Mountain View's Arkansas Folk Festival on the third weekend in April was becoming an annual staple for visitors across the state and across the entire country, another regular musical event was becoming a popular, poorly kept secret. In preparation for the 1963 festival, local musicians began to gather for weekly practice sessions. They eventually got permission to use the large upstairs courtroom in the county courthouse, and the word soon spread that there was old-time music going on there every Friday night. Before long, the practice session turned into a weekly concert, and people began to drive in from around the state and beyond. Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. 
took a little bacon and we took a little beans and we met the bloody British near the town of New Orleans. The most visible face of the emerging Mountain View music scene was Jimmy Driftwood, whose song, The Battle of New Orleans, a nationwide number one hit for Johnny Horton in 1959, had led to national recognition. A prolific songwriter, homegrown folklorist, and widely traveled entertainer, Jimmy became a significant factor in Mountain View's growing reputation as a music town and in the long process that led to the creation of the Ozark Folk Center. The bullet in his gun, old Hickory said he didn't give a damn, gonna whip the britches off a Colonel Packenham, fired our guns and the British kept a cup. Just as more and more folks in the community began to dust off their fiddles and join in the music, more and more business owners and citizens of all kinds began to get behind the idea of some kind of venue for music and crafts, and they began to follow the progress of plans and proposals that seemed to change from year to year in scope. The prospects for funding sometimes seemed elusive. Tom Simmons was Mountain View's mayor during much of that time. Time was dragging on and nothing was happening, and in the hopes of getting some publicity and whatnot, we just, I think there's three carloads of us drove up there. And we played music on the Capitol steps in Washington, D.C. Wilbur Mills was there, Took Gathering was there. Uh, the people from EDA was there. The Washington Post covered us big time. In their magazine section, they, get, they devoted a whole section to their magazine section to the music in Mountain View and what we were trying to do, pictures of the group. So, you know, there was, we did get a lot of publicity out of it, and it wasn't too long after that until we got money loose to start working. The impromptu Capitol Steps concerts certainly attracted attention. But by 1970, with perseverance, and in no small part, political connections in the form of U.S. House of Representatives Ways and Means Chairman Wilbur Mills finally paying off, another more diverse group of Mountain View performers went to D.C. as part of the Smithsonian Folklife Festival. One of the voices visitors to the Capitol Mall heard that summer, although admittedly more mature by now, can still be heard at the Ozark Folk Center today. Pam Setzer. As with many publicly funded projects, delays, politics, and frustrations ensued. But finally, on March 1, 1973, legislation was signed allowing the Ozark Folk Center to operate as an Arkansas state park. Opening was set for the third weekend of April, coinciding with the annual Spring Festival. Tom Simmons was appointed by the state park system to be the general manager and although Mountain View musicians, now organized as the Rackensack Folklore Society, were ready to provide the music, and the Craft Guild offered a beginning pool of craftspeople, it was a race to the finish to put support staff into place and actually finish the facility, one of the more complex in the entire state park system. And we had to put together people to run a full-time restaurant, a lodge with 60 units, 
the, the craft area with its numerous buildings and of course someone to do all the maintenance on all of that and also we had contractors under our feet trying to get the job done because it still lacked a lot of work to be completed. From that time in 1973, the Ozark Folk Center has opened its regular season at festival time in April, offering visitors a glimpse into the traditional Ozark folk life of the late 19th and early 20th century. In that spring of 1973, the center launched what may be the USA's longest-running public, continuous live programming of traditional American string band and ballad-style music. A later segment of this series will focus on the crafts program at the Ozark Folk Center and will be guided through it by its director, Jeanette Larson. And this is a place where you can come in and find what connects to your heart, um, whether it's, uh, you know, watching a, a, a beautiful little form come out of a block of wood and seeing how that happens, or whether it's sitting down at that loom and discovering the feel, that whole body feel of making cloth unfold in front of you. So that's, you need to just take the time, relax, enjoy, and experience this park. But from the craft grounds, through all of the center's workshops and interpretive programs, the visitor will move to the sound of music that seems to have grown out of the rocky soil of the Ozarks. From ancient melodies, To yesterday's songs. Oh, we used to go to church on Sunday when the wagon was new. And fiddle tunes guaranteed to induce an urge to rise out of your seat and dance, whatever your age or personal style. at the Folk Center's dedication ceremony on May 5th, 1973 by the following remarks by Arkansas Governor Dale Bumpers. The Governor of Arkansas, the Honorable Dale Bumpers. Governor Bumpers. Thank you. Thank you very much. There isn't anything better established than the Ozark region and then, of course, the story of the Arkansas Traveler. You've all seen the painting of the Arkansas traveler who rides up on his horse uh, to the squatter's cabin. The squatter is sitting there with his uh, fiddle, uh, strumming a tune or fiddling a tune with his children and his wife looking out through the door and the windows. And the squatter comes up on a very handsome horse. And in his effort to establish a little communication with the squatter, he says, uh, where does this road go? The squatter says, don't go nowhere. It just sits right there. And he says, have you lived here all your life? And the squatter says, not yet. <laughs> and finally, as a last resort, uh, a stranger asked the squatter if he'd be interested in hearing how the rest of the tune he was playing uh, goes. And so the stranger got his hands on the fiddle, and he demonstrated some confidence with the fiddle himself. 
And uh, the squatter was most impressed with the fact that the traveler could play the fiddle, and this changed his whole outlook on him, and he invited the squatter in for dinner, invited the neighbors in, and they had quite a party that night. The folks in Arkansas and in the Ozarks are very different now from the squatter in many ways these days. We are all a little more sophisticated, but some of the squatter's characteristics persist. And among them is this. We'd like just a little indication on the part of the people who come to visit us. We'd like for them to show us a genuine interest in our land and in our people. Once we see that indication, we're ready to accept that stranger and treat him like a long-lost brother and assure him that if he ever returns again, he will indeed be treated like a long-lost brother. And there's another similarity, and it goes directly to the heart of the intention of this Ozark Folk Center. Like the squatter, we will share with the traveler more than just the scenery or the facilities. We will share ourselves, our ways, our lifestyles and our thinking, our means of surviving and our immense capacity for having a good time. The Ozark Folk Center, like the squatter's cabin, is less important for its looks than for the willingness of its people to bring a stranger inside and make him a part of the living. And we strongly believe that when the visitor leaves this center, he'll leave with a new insight on how people cope with the environment with a feeling that he has been among friends, and more than likely with a 300-year-old fiddle tune running through his head. Even in recreational areas centered around natural features, there is a new emphasis on people. Programs are now in operation in our state parks, and they are designed to help the visitor understand what he's seeing and how his living is affected by it. So the part in Arkansas's growing tourist industry it's not just places, but people. And this facility is a showcase of that philosophy. Well, that same principle goes beyond the center and it applies to Arkansas generally. Proud as we are of the beautiful places of this state and their multitudinous, we want our visitors to experience the richness of our cultural heritage, as well as the variety of our scenery. And the visitor to our state who rushes through the state admiring the beautiful scenery without taking the time to stop and listen to our people, has missed the very best part. Turning to the building of this center, it was not to be a monument to any persons or even to the Ozark folk culture. For the culture is still living. Rather than being a monument, this center, like the squatter's cabin, is a place where people get together and get acquainted with one another, communicating and thereby understanding each other better. We are proud of our parks and recreational areas, public and private in Arkansas. We are particularly proud of this center because it exemplifies the new human-oriented attitudes in our state's tourist industry. This is not a mountain park, though its setting is in these beautiful Ozark Hills. It's not a river park or a lake park. It is, in every sense, a people park. Thank you very much. Fiddle, banjo, guitar, mandolin, dulcimer, and auto harp are just some of the instruments that combine to produce the enduring Ozark Mountain sound. One of the most popular groups at the Folk Center in the early days was the Simmons family, led by Mountain View Mayor Tommy Simmons. 
Next on the program is another fine group, Tommy Simmons and his wife, Jean. Come on in, Tommy, and their daughter, Pam. Let's make them welcome, folks. Gene's going to be playing a dulcimer. I don't know how many of you folks know what a dulcimer is, but the dulcimer was brought into this country from the Appalachia, oh, sometime in the late 1800s, and they're handmade instruments. This one was made here in Mountain View, actually, and uh, so was the guitar that I'm playing. This is really what the Folk Center is all about, is folks that can play these instruments and make them, and uh, hopefully when uh, Pam's youngsters come along, we'll still have folks making and playing the dulcimers and the guitars and other things. So uh, we're dedicated to try to do that, and first tune we're going to play is an old Scottish, actually started out as being a marsh. It was called Caledonia's Marsh, and then it was called Soldier's Dream. And later, uh, we learned it from the Blair family, one of the traditional music playing families in this area. It's called uh, Bonaparte's Crossing the Alps. Now, the, the instrument Pam's playing is not a harp, and it's not handmade. We bought it from Sears and Roebuck. <laughs> The Simmons family, Tommy, his wife Jean, and daughter Pam, playing the traditional tune, Bonaparte Crossing the Alps. It's time for a short break. When we come back, my old pal Mark Jones has found a recording of Stone County, Arkansas' favorite son playing his most famous song. This is Ozark Highlands Radio.
Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Since its inception in 1973, the Ozark Folk Center has hosted and recorded thousands of performances. We've got a vault here at the Folk Center where we keep these recordings of past shows. Mark Jones is our sound engineer here and is the keeper of the vault. Why don't we go down and see what he has for us this week? Hey, Mark, you down here? Yeah, Dave, I'm over here. How are you? I'm so glad you come down here to see me. Well, it's good to see I don't get down here often enough. But what have you got for us this week, Mark? Oh, Dave, we've got a lot of treasures down here, hidden treasures. And I just blowed the dust off of this one. It is a recording of Jimmy Driftwood. Now, a lot of y'all don't know, but Jimmy was instrumental in starting the Ozark Folk Center. Now, he didn't do it all by himself in any way, but he did a big part of it. I remember hearing Jimmy back in the 1950s when I was just a kid. He had some pretty popular songs at that time, didn't he? He really did. And I was able, I came down here with my mom and dad, who have been in music business a long time, and uh, I met, got to meet Jimmy a long time ago, and then eventually got to work with him on a tour that we did. Rack and Sack went out, and we did like 35, 36 colleges in a row, and it was a lot of fun. But one day, I remember we were practicing, and boy, Jimmy come in, he was some mad. Oh, he was burnt up. Somebody, and you know, in his shows, he always invites people to his house to drink a Pepsi with him. And if he's not there, just go on in and get you one yourself. I remember him saying that. Yeah. Well, somebody helped themselves to a Pepsi and tuned every instrument that he had in the house up to standard pitch where every, other people could play with him. Well, what Jimmy would do would find these old instruments and he'd tune them to where it suited his voice. And so then he had to go through and retune all the instruments in the house that would match his voice. But he did a great job uh, collecting, writing, and, you know, one of the th first things that he was ever known for is a teacher, and uh, he more or less taught history and about the Ozarks, and this song that I've dug up for you today to listen to, and it's one I know you've heard before, but if you listen to the words, he taught elementary class American history, and it has a lot to do with American history called the Battle of New Orleans. Well, let's hear a little bit of that from a recording from 1973 at the Ozark Folk Center. All the songs that I've had that have been big songs were songs that I composed to teach a class in school. I'm going to do one of those songs now. Some of you may want to join in with me. Well, in 1814, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. Took a little bacon and we took a little beans and we met the bloody British near the town of New Orleans. If 
Fired our guns and the British kept a coming. There wasn't I as many as there was a while ago. Fired once a more and they began to run down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. We seed Mars Jackson walking down the street, talking to a pirate by the name of Gina Feet. Gave Gina a drink that he brought from Tennessee, and the pirate said he'd help us drive the British in the sea. The French said, Andrew, you'd better run, for Pakenham's a coming with a bullet in his gun. Old Hickory said he didn't give a damn, gonna whip the British off of Colonel Pakenham. Fired our guns and the British kept a coming, there wasn't as nice many as there was a while ago. Fired what the moon and they began to run in, down Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. Well, we looked down the river and we see the British come, and there must have been a hundred of them beating on the drum. Stepped so high and they made the bugles ring while we stood beside our cotton bales, didn't say a thing. Old Hickory said we could take them by surprise if we didn't fire the musket till we looked them in the eyes. We held our fire till we see their faces well and opened up our squirrel guns and really gave them hell. We fired our guns and the British kept a coming. There wasn't I as many as there was a while ago. Fired once a more and they began to run down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. Till we fired our cannon till the barrel melted down So we grabbed the alligator and we fought another round Filled his head with cannonballs and powdered his behind And when we touched the powder off the gator lost his mind We'll march back home but we'll never be content Till we make old Hickory the people's president And every time we think about the bacon and the beans Think about the fun we had way down in New Orleans Fired our guns and the British kept a coming. There wasn't I as many as there was a while ago. Fired once more and they began to run it down Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. Well, they ran through the bars and they ran through the brambles and they ran through the bushes where a rabbit couldn't go. Ran so fast the hounds couldn't catch them down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. We fired our guns and the British kept a coming. There wasn't I as many as there was a while ago. Fired what the moon ran and they began to run it down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. A day at the Ozark Folk Center in Mountain View, Arkansas, is a bit like a day in the Ozarks might have been a hundred or more years ago. People are busy with the things that made a way of life work on a small farm or in a small town. Yarn is being spun and gardens are being tended. Knives are being fashioned and tools are being hammered out on an anvil, and these sights and sounds blend with dozens of others. But a visitor's experience is much more than watching performers play out a make-believe script about days gone by. Crafters and others are ready to engage anyone who takes a little while out of their real-world contemporary life to witness pride in creative work, to spend just a little time talking, learning, and reflecting about how art, work, experience, and a frequent dash of humor can be as useful today as it was back when. Jeanette Larson, the center's craft director, explained. Our crafts are based in the heritage and the resources here in the Ozarks, but a lot of our crafts are modern. Um, they weren't uh, necessarily crafts that you would have found here. You know, home, people homesteading and trying to make a living didn't necessarily have time to uh, 
do the fun stuff and engage in crafts. And probably when they sat down in the evenings, they probably played music rather than sat there and carved something pretty, although they did that too. The visitors who enjoy the park the most are the visitors who take the time to talk with the craftspeople um, and ask them questions about how they got involved in their craft, ask them about their craft, um, and who are willing to slow down and just relax and enjoy the park. It's real people really making things. Sounding a little like the teacher in the old one-room schoolhouse on the craft grounds might have while telling about the outstanding work her students were doing, Jeanette called the role of all 22 of the artisans. Here's a sampling. Uh, the candle shop is a wonderful shop. Uh, it's a young family that has that shop and Jeff and Tracy Glover and their children. And their passion is beeswax. And so they've learned how to do, make real old fashioned beeswax candles. They get their beeswax locally, they process it all. Um, and they do very, very nice liturgical quality beeswax candles. And we have our blacksmiths, like I said, um, they're happy to make things for you. Uh, Pat Thompson has been a blacksmith for a long time. He worked with the ironworks. He's retired from that, and now he comes in. And it, the thing that he loves more than anything else is making nails and telling kids about the whole history, you know, homesteading and everything else. And, and then he's happy to give the kids a nail. Because we have a, a standard of dress, um, we have a clothier and her main purpose is to make the clothes that we're wearing here in the park. But then that gives the visitors a chance to see uh, the clothing being made and also it gives them a place, it's kind of hard to find aprons in the modern world anymore and I, I value my aprons. <laughs> so it gives the visitors a chance to buy wonderful long dresses and, and um, aprons and that kind of thing and bonnets. And then we have our wood carver. Uh, I think he's closet Santa Claus. So he makes kids toys and uh, he uh, also loves the music and the instruments. So he makes a lot of rhythm instruments. And uh, I think yesterday I went into his shop just for a little bit and he had eight people in there playing different, uh, you know, the wooden cheater spoons that we call them and little rattles and all those kinds of things that he makes. And he just had a great jam session going in his shop. Um, the gun shop, uh, Jim Purdom is the lead gunsmith. And then he has his nephew, uh, Rick works with him. His nephew's a taxidermist by trade, but he's a, he's a good gunsmith too. And he's learned from Jim and then Fox Glover you know, coming from across the street in the candle shop is now apprenticing with Jim and learning how to make guns and they maintain that tradition um, and it's a it's a fascinating shop it takes a year to make a gun in our weaving shop um, we have uh, a loom set up where visitors can come and weave um, the people in there are happy to show you how and one of my great joys in the park is the look on somebody's face and it can be young or old when they sit down at that loom and realize they're actually making something. They're making cloth. Um, I don't think there's many places in the modern world that let people have that feeling of, wow, I can make something. <laughs> Again, as it would have happened on that old Ozark farmstead, when evening comes, perhaps with it will come some time for music. 
Actually, there's been live, traditional music going on on the craft grounds throughout the day, but now it's front and center, moving into the main auditorium for the evening performance. For its first 40 years, the Ozark Folk Center limited its regular musical offerings, excluding performances by special guests, to music that would have been played around here before World War II dramatically changed the region's musical tastes. In recent years, recognizing that this is a living tradition, the door has been opened to include more recent music, but always music that has grown out of the Ozark Appalachian tradition. Thanks, Charlie. Another dignitary who attended the May 5, 1973 dedication ceremony of the Ozark Folk Center was famed United States Senator J. William Fulbright. Here are his remarks that day. We are delighted today, of course, to have the Honorable J. William Fulbright here, the Chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee of the United States Senate. Well, I, I just want to say a word. Uh, you've heard a great deal in Washington about priorities, the differences among us, <laughs> among congressmen, and between the White House and the Congress about how we spend our money and what we do with it. It seems to me this is the highest priority, and I think all of us, I'm sure I speak for Senator McClellan and, of course, the ones of the congressmen who are here speak for themselves. I believe Ray Thornton would agree that this is the type of activity of which, in which we take the greatest pleasure to support. It's such a, a great thrill to come and see a concrete accomplishment such as this devoted to peaceful or, I would say, humanizing, civilizing activities in contrast to so many things that we support. While this takes a good deal of money, from our point of view, it's certainly relatively, it's a very substantial contribution of public revenues. Nevertheless, I don't think the soul will ever live to regret the investment that we've made in a facility which enables all of us to appreciate our country and to enable us to appreciate the beauties of nature to develop and to retain a reverence for life close to nature, and, well, a reverence for life itself. This music, which I have heard both here before and that you brought to Washington at the time that John Paul Hammerschmidt referred to, is music which is not devoted to the exploits of the of our great emperors and so on, as in the past, so many of the old music was devoted to conquest and to war and all that. The music essentially typical of this center has always been characterized by its joy in the beauties and the life of this country. Of course, it, it represents, I think, very truly life itself. It isn't all superficial by any means. It, 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 it encompasses the whole 
of human experience. It's based upon the experience of our ancestors in, back in the old countries that was brought here. And I can't imagine really any program that I've ever helped, helped with, as all of your delegation have, that in which I take greater pleasure. So it, I'm especially pleased to be able to be here at this dedication and to share with all of you the pleasure at this great accomplishment. I thank you very much for inviting me. This part of the Ozarks was originally hunting grounds for the Osage Indians. Settlers of European ancestry first began to arrive here in the early 1800s, and they brought with them a love of dancing. Jig dancing is a form of free-form footwork with roots in the British Isles. For 50 years, nearly every music show at the Ozark Folk Center has featured local dancers practicing their jig dance chops. Roll the rug back and try your own style. You've been listening and hopefully dancing to a jig dance played 50 years ago on our stage at the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. We heard Uncle Fate Morrison and his grandson Ricky on fiddles, backed up by guitarist Ralph Strayer, playing an old-time tune called Bunker Hill. Let's take another short break. When we return, Charlie Sandage will be back with the story of the Ozark Folk Center's Heritage Herb Garden. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio.
Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. The Heritage Herb Garden is where old-time pass-along plants, medicinal herbs, native plants, and edible herbs are grown. Here's our friend Charlie Sandage with more about the Heritage Herb Garden. Tina Wilcox is the herbalist at the Ozark Folk Center. After 31 years, her name has become synonymous with the center's Heritage Herb Garden and her deeply felt connection with the Ozarks native plant kingdom continues to flourish. The Ozark Folk Center State Park's Heritage Herb Garden is a decorative garden, and it, it does certainly enhance and add a lot to the senses of a person visiting the park. However, what's really important about the garden is that it's a place where people can see the plants that were so very important to life in the Ozarks. The planted areas that are part of the Heritage Herb Garden are prominent throughout the center's grounds, especially in the Crafts Village. But Tina Wilcox's description of the garden begins with its mixed hardwood and pine forest setting. We start with the biggest plants, the trees. And the timber actually brought a lot of people here because it, it in itself was a resource. But that gave us log cabins and musical instruments. The acorns came to the ground and fed the wild animals. And so those people that had guns could eat meat. And then they could rinse the acorns to have high protein for themselves to make a meal. From the time when prehistoric people hunted wildlife in the Ozarks to today's sawmills and wood products and even tourism, timber has been essential to the region's economy. But Tina's tone shifts when she begins to talk about what grows in the shade of Ozark oaks and hickories. In the understory of the forest, we have persimmons and we have pawpaws and we have spice bush and then the littler herbs. Then we get into the really good ones, the golden seal and the ginseng that were not only important to the medicinal uh, uses around the cabin, but also were a way to make a living here in the Ozarks. One of the other ways that people had of, of uh, bumping up their income some. And then out in the garden, where people were raising corn and squash and beans and pumpkins and turnips and collards and all that, there came the, the volunteer weeds that were edible. So you had poke salad and you had lamb's quarters and purslane and chickweed, all these things that went into the greens pot and, and help people get their vitamins and minerals as they made their subsistence living in the uh, cabins. Near the Crafts Village entrance, a visitor to the Folk Center will find a major herb garden work and display area. Yolanda Raker is an apprentice gardener and shopkeeper, and on a day in mid-October, we found her there. Well, right now I'm taking some mint and I am giving them new soil because plants, you know, use up the nutrients in the soil and preparing them to kick back for the winter. I'm cutting the roots back some, giving them clean new pots and new soil with amendments in them and letting them grow from there. Two visitors stopped nearby. One was pointing out a specimen of particular interest to her friend we spoke with Catherine Nathan from Memphis, Tennessee. This is one of my return visits. I, we come up here at least once a year, try to. And uh, 
uh, at one point there was a lady who worked in this uh, in this particular exhibit who uh, she was a little uh, older and uh, was in period costume and uh, she got me very very interested in uh, all these plants and uh, so uh, I was just uh, you know touching and smelling and 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 enjoying uh, the incredible variety that's here. Uh, and uh, I always want to learn more about, uh, about herbs and plants and so on and so forth. So uh, I just, uh, just wandered in. <laughs> Ideally, a visitor would have days to devote to such purposeful wandering. But Tina Wilcox reflected on how someone with only a few hours to devote to the center's herb gardens might spend them. If an herbal person had only one day at the Ozark Folk Center State Park, I would urge them to go to the cabins, uh, the Shen cabin and the herb cabin, and spend a whole lot of time in the Folk Kids Mountain Garden and up on the Yarb Garden Hill just looking at the uh, at the fragrant and useful plants that are there. Oh, there's a big old buckeye there, and it's going to have red flowers in the spring, and then it'll be dropping heavy fruit on people's heads at the end of August, you know, and those buckeyes for good luck are always fun to find. But just uh, from the ginseng gold silk patch all the way through the mountain mints and the baptisias and on through there, to me, represent the Ozarks. The Billy Joe Tatum's Herb Garden is right there on that same hill. It's to, to me, that one represents really what I think of as important to herbalism in the Ozarks. Generations of accumulated folk wisdom and serious study have made the Folk Center's Herb Garden what it is. But one whimsical observation by Tina Wilcox might be the best way to summarize the underlying spirit of it all. I've had the opportunity to uh, break open some persimmon seeds this fall, and so far I'm getting all spoons. The thing is, is you gotta get into the uh, flesh of the persimmon and, and then get out those individual seeds and kind of get the slick off of them and set them up on their edge. And then you get your, your pocket knife and you kind of work it in there on the edge of the seed and, and, and just work it until you can peel the two sides of the seed apart. And when you lay it open, you look in the middle and you can see either a spoon, a fork, or a knife. And it's just a little white shape within the middle of the seed. Now, a spoon means you're gonna be shoveling snow. A fork means it'll be sort of an easy winter. And the butter knife means it'll be cuttingly cold. And like I said, so far, I'm getting spoons, so I'm looking forward to some snow this winter. The Ozark Folk Center and its hometown of Mountain View, Arkansas, have grown together, both in the sense of gradual growth in numbers and in a process of blending. At first glance, Mountain View looks much like any other county seat town in the rural Arkansas Ozarks. But right away, a visitor can begin to notice telltale signs that something is different. 
Right alongside the front entrance to the old courthouse building that dominates the town square is a flat-topped platform. It looks like a dance floor, because it is. A special park adjacent to the square features some gazebo-like structures, clearly built for people gathering round to hear people playing music. All through the town, shops like the Arkansas Craft Guild Gallery are found, but they sit alongside offices, stores, and cafes that any small town might have. Bed and breakfast with picking porches and RV parks with music rooms welcome visitors right alongside motels that could be found in any other Ozark town. And just a few blocks to the north of the square, just beyond the city park and the county fairgrounds, is the Ozark Folk Center State Park. The center has been part of life in Mountain View for over 40 years, and its impact on the town is incalculable. First, in keeping with the hopes of the town, county, and state leaders who first envisioned it, the center has been an economic boon. Tom Simmons, one-time mayor and the center's first general manager. As it has turned out very well, the park system is, to me, the obvious entity to be operating the folk center. Uh, the city still owns it, has all the jobs generates, uh, the, all the revenue it does, the taxes it does, so it's been a real boon to the city of Mountain View and to the county as a whole, and the state for that matter. More broadly, the Ozark Folk Center, along with nearby Blanchard Springs Cavern, the White River, and the Ozark Mountain setting, and the town's music and crafts components that have accumulated over the years as a kind of spillover of the emergence of the center, have combined to make tourism a leading component of the area's economy. But another kind of blending, in many ways a more important one, has taken place in this community. A traditional Ozark culture that is celebrated here was forged over much of the 19th century by people who came here, took what they found, learned from one another, and fashioned a new life. With the beginnings of the Ozark Folk Center over 40 years ago, a new cycle of that same phenomenon began. The entire region was becoming popular as a place for retirees, many from Midwestern U.S. cities and towns and other states, to settle. But the area also attracted a younger group, part of what was called the back-to-the-land movement. The label hippie was bandied about, and what was going on in Mountain View drew the interest of a significant number of these young people. Mary Gillahan, now the longest continuing member of the Folk Center staff, reminisced about being among the first women bold enough to invade the town's pool hall, and then responded this way, when asked whether she encountered hostility here during the early 70s. Um, no, I never found people to be hostile uh, to someone who wasn't from around here, as they always said. I didn't hear that phrase about being from off for years and years and years. People would just say, well, you're not from around here, are you? Although <laughs> someone from town one time told me, we know we talked about people like you being from off, but we were polite enough not to say it to your face. <laughs> they were like joke amongst the, amongst the locals. But I found people to be very accepting. If you were um, 
polite to them and mannerly, if you were open to learning what they had to say, if you wanted to really listen, if you genuinely, genuinely wanted to know what was going on, they wanted to tell you. They understood the value of passing along what they knew to someone else. Steve Folkers and his wife Arlone came to this area around the time that what is now the Arkansas Craft Guild was being formed with its activities marking the beginnings of the process that led to the creation of the Folk Center. They both embraced traditional crafts as a way to make a living in a back-to-the-land lifestyle, and the existence of a market for their work was a reason to choose the Mountain View area as a place to settle. Especially if you're living out in the woods or, or, you know, a long way off of the pavement, it would have been a lot harder to make a living if you had to drive 50 or 100 miles after you get to the blacktop instead of when you go to town, there it is. You know, that's your market right there. Steve eventually became what is called a white cooper, demonstrating the crafting of wooden household objects at the center for 20 years. But his route to that career ran through his and Arlone's relationship with the Guild, a relationship that still continues. Before us, it was locals learning to market stuff that they could do. It was a, it was a marketing opportunity to start up with. And then a lot of us back-to-the-land types joined in, and a lot of them, not all, had an interest in the traditional aspects of that, and then also had a lot of contemporary art sort of interests mixed in with it and so that's you know that's when my guild period would have been was right then when there's when there was both and i was always interested more in the traditional side of it steve and arlone and scores of others began to meld into this town that was made up mostly of the descendants of people who had created the traditional ozark culture mary gillahan acquired her new last name when she married robert the son of a father who was a classic Ozark fiddler, one of the first to play in folk center music programs, and a mother whose ancestors were among the very earliest to settle here, even before Arkansas was a designated territory of the United States. They have been joined over these 40 years by other musicians, artisans, and people who simply wanted to become part of this place for the 19th and 21st centuries seem to somehow blend. It's a place that is by no means immune to present-day problems and stresses, nor is it out of reach via highways, the internet, and even a surprisingly sophisticated small airport, but a tangible presence of the past, nurtured by the Ozark Folk Center, offers a kind of perspective for dealing with those stresses that is, in many ways, unique. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. Let's close out with some sacred heart or shape note singing from our first show recorded on May 5th, 1973. The thing we're going to do now is uh, familiar perhaps to some of you. Uh, we're going to do some of what could be called sacred harp, which is a traditional American hymn form. And uh, this is a group that's Composed partly of folks who've been singing this for a while and partly who've been singing it for about a week and a half or so. And uh, I'll have to admit, though, I'm often pleased with the way it's coming along. Do, 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 so, la, so. 
That was Blow Ye Trumpet Blow, sung in the old shape note style. Thanks to you listeners for making Ozark Highlands Radio a success and helping us celebrate our 50th anniversary. We're already looking forward to the next 50 years at the park. This is your host, Dave Smith. I'll see you next week. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from Arkansas State Parks, a division of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com. The Committee of 100 proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. And by Stone Bank with roots in Mountain View, Arkansas. Stone Bank is a proud supporter of heritage musicians and small towns across America with government-guaranteed loans for farmers, entrepreneurs, and communities. More information available at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar. (laughs) 